Alright guys, welcome back to Stone and Clay. This is episode 46. I'm here with um, a fellow podcaster, um, Colin Dillon. Is it Dillon? Connor, you gotta Connor, say your name Connor, right. You, come well, on, you can't have me on your show and call me by the wrong okay, name. Okay, okay, here's the issue. <laughs> I'm looking at your episode right here. I'm seeing Millennial in the Middle is the name of your podcast. Yeah, here's what you did. I'm seeing double L's. Here's what you did. You I, mixed I mean, my first name and last name. Exactly. Connor Delin makes Colin. It happens about ten times a day. Okay. It's Connor Delin. That's How's so it funny. going? Going good, man. Um, tell me, tell me about your podcast. I like. I listened to a few of your episodes. I like your. Um, I like your graphic. I like the vibe of it. What is what is this? Obviously, we know what millennial means, but what does this title kind of mean to you? Sure. Yeah, I've always been into history, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason I'm into history is because it connects us to those that came before us, kind of seeing how events that happen change the way we think, we act, we interact with each other, and... I was a history major. Okay, there we go. So you understand it, right? And I I was really interested in watching, like, this evolution of how things change, especially in the way we think, and in what we value, and what matters most to us. And now it's interesting, like, as millennials, we're entering middle age right now, and we kind of are in this, I I feel in a unique position to where we can be a bridge between the older generations that are looking at the younger generations with their nose up saying, ah, you know, this is how they feel and giving their, all their feelings about it. And then a younger generation that can't connect with those that came before. And so to me, it's about bridging that gap, bring people together, having real conversations and increasing in understanding mm-hmm. and empathy and uh i think we're a lot more alike than we are different very cool so let me ask you this do you feel do you feel that it's more difficult to to connect with like baby boomers or like gen z or, me personally or gen y yeah it's interesting you say that because i spent the first part of my career as a professional speaker so mm-hmm. When I was 12 years old, I told people I wanted to be a motivational speaker when I grew up. Yeah. had no idea what that meant at right, that right. point, but I was going to do it. And then I realized pretty quickly, like, well, I don't have anything to talk about. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know what my story <laughs> is. So I wanted to be a speaker, but I realized I had to go. I went and spoke for a company, an investment training company, and spent five years on the road. I was on average in a hotel room like 22 nights a month. Yeah. Went everywhere you can possibly imagine, 47 states, 10 plus countries, and I say that because our target audience was boomers. Yeah, it was yeah. people that were prepping for retirement or were there and trying to figure out their financial situation. And I had new groups come into these, you know, hotel conference rooms mm-hmm. and you know event centers every day. And so I got really good at connecting with them and yeah. seeing how they worked, what made them tick. And I've always been a bit of an old soul, so that came easy to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what I saw over and over again was this like realization with a lot of these older people that the path that they had taken, that you know they were told would lead to this, this, and that, or you know whether it was retirement or their job, whatever it might be, that it didn't necessarily work. Right. That they were having to make some changes on the fly. So now to go to Gen Z, I think Gen Z is seeing that, and their way of going about it right now is just by saying, like, yeah, no thanks to that. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm yeah. going to value my own autonomy. And I think Gen Z is probably harder for me to connect with right now. But I feel that vibe changing uh, as we speak. The more content I put out on social media and the more I do this, 
it almost seems like, you know, the younger generations are liking this message of empowerment mm-hmm. and coming together and, hey, you know, our, our lives might look different than our parents or grandparents, but that doesn't mean they're better or worse. They're just different. So let's embrace it and enjoy right. life along the way. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I personally tend to just, I don't know, I just enjoy, I just enjoy being around young people, mm-hmm. right? I feel like they bring an energy that is really hard to match even with like a super energetic older person. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is because they haven't been, it's hard, it's hard to be really young and really jaded and cynical, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's, that's what I tell people when, when I get grief for dating younger girls, Yeah, I'm like, okay, I'll take a little bit of naivety and immaturity over like, jadedness and cynicism fair you know and and that's you know you can you can debate we could do a whole podcast on dating young women <laughs> that's a whole other topic <laughs> i'm not gonna sign up for that one i'll let you do that as a solo episode <laughs> that's a that's how to get in trouble fast but i just think it's interesting how um i don't know just in my experience is in, in being single for a long time and in playing spike ball, I'm always around really young kids. Mm-hmm. So it's almost been like, like I've been a teacher or something. Sure. Just, I'm constantly around like high school age kids and 20 year old guys mm-hmm. and 18 year old guys. And it's cool. Cause you just stay, you stay really in the know of what on earth is going on with, with a lot of things that are trivial, right. With, with fashion, with, you know, slang and social media and stuff, but I don't know. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, well, I guess we're different that way. I, <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that. I don't know the Gen Z fashion and all yeah. the, the terms. It's interesting. One of the first, uh, the company I'm running right now, one of the first hires I made was a 22 year old guy. Mm-hmm. I almost said kid, but I didn't. Right. Yeah. And it was so cool to all of a sudden be like, man, I'm in the workplace and I've got almost a decade of experience on someone here. But seeing immediately the different perspective he brings to looking at issues and marketing and growth and all these different things, I'm like, man, that is so valuable. And it right. didn't take me very long to realize I need to surround myself with people older and younger and that think differently and bring those people together and then you know see what you can create as a team. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the main thing is, is I mean, a lot of times age is indicative of something one thing or another but mm-hmm. it's about like you said different perspectives and different ways of thinking yeah because it's so easy to just get people on your team that think like you because it's it ruffles less feathers yeah right and everyone agrees with you more if they yep. think like you mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I really like that um have you been to all 50 states i have said you've spoken four, to 47 yeah i've been to i've spoken in 47 <laughs> states i have been to 48 okay what states yes. are you missing Alaska and uh, Mississippi, believe it or not. I have been around Mississippi lots of times, but never been in. That's funny. I've been to 48 states as well. Um, I've spoken in zero of them. But, um, yeah, I'm missing Alaska and North Dakota. Okay. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Let's let's do Alaska together. We can knock that one off the list. I'll tell you what. um, I'm not sure you're missing a ton in Mississippi. (laughs) They, um, you know, they're, they're usually ranked like 
fiftieth in education. Yeah. Ranked in the top five in crime and poverty and obesity. It's a crazy place. <laughs> yeah, I feel, you know, different parts of Louisiana, Alabama, I've, I've yeah. gotten that experience. Yeah, very similar vibe in Louisiana. Um, but it was cool. I did a, I did a road trip um, just through the south. Uh-huh. I'm trying to get all 50 states, and my buddy lives in Atlanta. And I was like, let's just drive around and get these five stupid states I'm missing because <laughs> I don't know when else, I don't know why I'm going to ever go to Arkansas hope there are no southerners listening right now you just called their state stupid well they're stupid because they're like i said what like for the same reason if you're not if you live on the east coast like idaho's stupid like what am i going to do in idaho right sure. but then as you travel you realize there's cool stuff everywhere mm-hmm. you know but yeah i'm like dude what am i am i going to go to little rock and what am i going to see like the original walmart like what am i going to do in these states but um but yeah, we just drove around with no agenda, mm-hmm. but to just hit these, like, I think I was missing Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi. There you go. And we just That's pa- a good trip. Yeah, it really, yeah. it was a blast. We just pounded them out, and... Um, I love Kentucky. Kentucky's awesome. Yeah, Kentucky's, Kentucky's really cool. I do this, I have this weird little hobby where I like to go find, like, abandoned towns and abandoned buildings and stuff and just kind of explore and take pictures and stuff Mm -hmm. and we were in kentucky and we found this abandoned amusement park Hmm. like up in the hills really and it was so cool it was one of the coolest things i've ever done and anytime you're doing this it's a little dicey because it's usually like technically private property or whatever but you know i don't feel bad because it's not like we're going and ransacking the place but you know, there are usually no trespassing signs and stuff, but um, but this was cool. We basically, like, walked up this hill into the woods, and it was a little kind of kitschy amusement park um, with, like, there was, like, a gondola up it, and then there was, there was, like, this fake, like, manicured, like, village. I don't really know what the theme was. <laughs> But it was just it was just cool because it looked like it had been abandoned very recently. Because hmm. usually you go into these places and there's graffiti everywhere, there's beer cans, it's just kind of demolished. And this was fairly preserved, just kind of weeds outgrown everywhere. And anyways, just took some cool pictures and that's kind of like my main Kentucky experience. Like yeah. besides I I stayed with a buddy, a, you know, a good friend out there. It was good to catch up with him, but besides that, that's like what I think of when I think Kentucky. But, but that's what's cool about America is like, there's so many little pockets and little adventures you can have. It doesn't need to be about like, the big cities or the main attractions, the touristy stuff. There's just endless stuff to see. Yeah, I think it's a great life lesson, right? Like, there's often in the unexpected places that's where you learn the most or get the most value from, and I. I've shared a lot of those same experiences of different areas yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily have on your bucket list, right? right? What are and, what are some of those? Well, it's interesting because I've kind of a way that I in, actually in the last year I went in about a fourteen month stretch I hit five of the seven wonders of the world. Mm-hmm. I just went for it, yeah. and and so the only one I have left is the Taj Mahal. Okay. So that's on the bucket list. But have India, you been to Asia India at really all? Isn't. I've been to Asia quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, I've been all over in Asia and actually speaking. So I, okay, cool. I went out there for work several times yeah. and 
had some of the craziest experiences speaking that I've ever had mm-hmm. of jumping up on stage and having 500 people in the audience and it's being translated on head via headsets <laughs> okay. to four different languages yeah, yeah. and you know really really struggling connecting with the group right because there was a delay in yeah. how it was being translated and just the cultural differences like man what an eye-opening experience to go put yourself on stage in the front middle of you know 500 people in yeah. a foreign country yeah india's like what part of India were you in? I haven't been to India. Oh, okay. You know, okay. Asia. I, oh, okay. I've spoken Vietnam, uh, in Vietnam, in Guam, in Thailand, in, uh, let's see, where have I been? I've been to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of where I've been. I feel to like, speak. tell me if you agree. I feel like... Singapore. That was the one I was oh, cool. saying. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I feel like, to me, probably because I haven't been there yet, I've been to like, I think I've been to 20 countries, but I haven't been to Asia at all. And I, th- I feel like, to me, the Asian continent, the Asian culture, Asian languages, whatever, is, to me, the most, like, opposite of America. <laughs> and, it, you know, not in every way, obviously, sure. but I think more culturally. Yeah. They're so different. Uh, would you agree with that in all your travels? Um, the, the most foreign place I've ever felt has been in the Middle East. Mm, um, sure. I've been to Jordan and that, that to me felt more foreign than Asia, but yeah. the close second to that would be Beijing. Right. Um, that was a very foreign feeling kind of yeah. spot. Um, and I think you're right. Like culturally there, there's a lot of differences. Um, but I, I, I think the, the people often are very warm in right. my experience yeah. and it, it hasn't, uh, China's a little bit of a different story, but my time in Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam, these Southeast Asian countries, mm-hmm. uh, I've I really found a connection to the people and the vibe and the energy yeah. there. Uh, I study Buddhism quite a lot, mm-hmm. and it's cool to see the birthplace of those yeah. areas. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it's different, but it's all different, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, all your travels, what is like. What's been your, because people, people like travel for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. some people just love like beaches and scenery and stuff. Yeah. When you're traveling not for work, what's your like favorite part of traveling? What makes like a destination the best for you? Sure. I mean, there's two types of vacation in my mind. There's one where you're going to go sit on the beach or at the pool and do yeah. nothing for three days yeah. and check out. But, you know, obviously the type of travel we're discussing here for me, it's, just reminding yourself that the world is bigger than you. Yeah. I think we all have such a tendency to only know what's in our bubble and what we experience. Um, one of my favorite quotes about Trevor uh, about travel is from Trevor Noah, uh, host of The Daily Show now, yeah. South African guy, right? And he says, he said, I believe travel is the antidote to ignorance. Mm-hmm. And he says, especially when you travel to a country where you don't speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. It's this immediate, like... Your your ego all of a sudden gets checked in the right. sense of like communication, which is our main skill. All of a sudden, you can't, and you're on the outside. Yeah. And we spend so much of our life like as the majority. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to be a minority. So I think my favorite experience is being in a group of people. I mean, I remember I got on a plane once from to speaking in the Middle East, most foreign it's ever been, and I flew from Amman, Jordan to Cairo, Egypt. I was by myself, and I got on this flight, and I'm the only white person yeah, on yeah. the flight of yeah. 400. And 
you notice that right. you feel it and I think it's really good to have put yourself in those situations as a reminder that you then keep throughout the rest of your life right because there's no other way to like simulate that feeling no, no. you know like I remember I grew up I grew up in Phoenix and you know Phoenix is a pretty diverse place um, depending on where mm-hmm. you are right there's plenty of pockets that are 99% white yeah but um but my middle school was not in the greatest area and and there was a, quite a bit of diversity and still probably i don't know 65 70% white but there's a lot of hispanics a lot of african americans and i remember one time i went to this party of this girl in my class it's like 7th grade you know, whatever seventh grade party looks like, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, she had her older brother was throwing it and it was a little bit wilder than an average seventh grade party. But, um, I, I was one of two white people there Mm -hmm. and, you know, I had, I had never felt weird about being around other races because I had been exposed to it plenty, but I remember it being a very unique feeling like, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's like I'm like I obviously stand out here. Yeah. Like I'm the only other white person was somebody's white girlfriend. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm the lone white guy, and it's not like it felt threatening or scary or anything. It was just like, wow, this is this is definitely a unique feeling. Yeah, I I agree with what you just said. It's real. Yeah. Right. And so I think you know one of the one of the reasons I started my podcast in early 2020 is. This is right as COVID was at its height. We're in this crazy election, and then at the same time, we have the death of George Floyd and the call for social reform. And you know that was a pretty heated time. Of everyone felt like they had to pick teams, they had to pick a side, they had to be right. Yeah. Like the loudest voices seemed to be the ones that got the microphone the most. Yeah. And I, I think there's so much value in just stepping back and acknowledging that how other people feel is real period right like feelings are real and you can't argue that and so putting yourself in opportunities where you can learn from people who have experiences and backgrounds different from you is only going to make you a better more evolved human right and i think i think those kind of lessons of course they help in you know kind of the macro like dealing with the world and relationships and stuff but i i think a lot with like one-on-one relationships Mm -hmm. you know you realize like you disagree with somebody and it's so easy to just be like dude this person is wrong (laughs) like i know they're wrong because of x y and z but when it's one-on-one and it's somebody you care about it's not worth like having that resentment built Mm -hmm. between you forever so it's like the healthy thing to do is realize okay maybe they're wrong but ultimately they have their experience and I have mine. Correct. And we obviously just disagree on our experiences. Or it, it's funny, a lot of times you like are fighting about something that happened and you have a completely different idea of what happened. Sure. Or a different memory even, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's interesting because I there's this quote I love from this movie. It's called, um, it's this little indie movie called um, Celeste and Jesse Forever. And this girl's just kind of griping to this guy at a party about her relationship. And she's just going on and on and on. And she's saying, like, oh, he's just going about it the wrong way. And he just kind of 
calmly says, well, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And, and I always think about that because for some reason, our egos place so much value on being right. <laughs> when it's like, yeah. what does that intrinsically, quantitatively do for us to be right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't prove anything. But I, even for myself, I don't consider myself a highly prideful person. But a lot of times you're just like, man, I do... I am right, and this person is way off base. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, I'm opinionated on this because I think this goes back to the generational stuff that we mm-hmm. were talking about. I think these younger generations that are coming up now are more open. Yeah, they're more willing to know there maybe isn't the right way, yeah. or just like the only way that you've got to do this, this, or that. Yeah. And I think there's an acceptance of others that obviously has good impact. But the second piece is, I think that people feel their potential, like the things that they can go out and do now are so much more than what you might have been able to think like 50 to 60 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, for example, I think back at like, you know, 30 years ago, if you were to take a career aptitude test in school, you know, you'd take answer all the questions, go through it, and at the end it would pull from like 25 occupations and tell you what you would fit. That world's gone now. Yeah. Like there are so many different ways to make money, for example, or just in life, having a recognition that there are lots of different ways to be happy and to be a good person. And I think that more open-minded perspective is going to be beneficial, and I hope it keeps up. Yeah, totally. Um, I was listening to um, one of your episodes with uh, Jenna Jarvis Jarvis. Oh, yeah, just recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jenna's, Jenna's awesome. Um, she's awesome, yeah. I don't, I don't know her super well, but you know, whenever I see her, I say hi. And, you know, um, we're, we're that level of friend, but, um, it just got me thinking about that, that idea of vulnerability. And I love her, her movement. Vulnerability is cool. Um, if nothing else, she makes cool hats. Um, (laughs) but, um, it got me thinking about just asking you, um, your kind of relationship with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Or, or do you consider yourself a pretty vulnerable guy or do you feel like you like to keep a lot of things a little bit closer to the chest? It's a really good question. I'm a work in progress there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've become more and more vulnerable the older I've gotten. Mm-hmm. And I've also taken a look within and realized I haven't been very good at that in yeah. my life at different times. Yeah. Uh, more than anything else, I'm an entertainer. Yeah, like That's what I grew up doing. As a kid, I was a singer I was singing the national anthem at a jazz game alone mm-hmm. at 11 years old right like yeah. I I was in that entertainment world and then as I went into being a speaker it was very much about how you were perceived mm-hmm. and performing quote unquote for your audience and adapting to who they were and I think along that way if you're not careful all of a sudden you kind of lose like well who are you where's right. your vulnerability right yeah. and and I think that's, uh, you know, personally in my growth, where I feel like the last year or two has been of all of a sudden, okay, I, I know I like to, I know I care about people. I know I want to help. I know that I have skills as a speaker, whatever it might be. But now I feel like I know my message because I'm being more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And as I've been more vulnerable and talking about me and being real on the podcast, I think my voice has changed over two years and evolved yeah. if you've listened to it. It, it it makes people, you know, connect to you in a way that you wouldn't if you didn't let that wall down. Yeah. So I'm still working on it. Right. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like it's easier 
to be vulnerable in that capacity, like on a podcast or on a stage or whatever, mm-hmm. where you maybe you open up and you really connect with people, but it is different than like you're you're going to lunch with a buddy and you're kind of pouring out your soul and you're yeah. really digging into stuff. Um, do you feel like that's maybe a little more difficult for you, that side of it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I, I, for a long time, like, I I was sitting here going, okay, well, like, how far is too far on my podcast to yeah. go or to yeah. talk about, right? And I think you have a realization that in your professional career, there, there are certain things that you don't have to share with the world. You don't right. owe it to anyone to give them all the nitty-gritty details of your life. And so I think that's where there's kind of the line in vulnerability but what you just said there is you've got to take a step back and evaluate your relationships when it's one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And do you have a relationship of depth with that person? And how much vulnerability is appropriate for the re- individual relationship that you have there? So I have some friends that I go to lunch with that we talk about sports and yeah, yeah. life, and it's real easy. And then others that will sit there for two hours, and we're talking about things that are really tough and getting emotional and it just depends I think on the relationship yeah totally are you are you an easy crier or is it difficult to make you cry I I am a pretty emotional guy yeah yeah yeah. um do you feel like if someone was like hey when was the last time you cried is it easy to be like oh Tuesday I cried yesterday yeah (laughs) yeah nice yeah (laughs) um do you do you feel like crying is a a cathartic thing for you or does it kind of drain you? Okay. So I should say I'm not a sad crier. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't tell you the last time I've cried mm. like out of pain because I was bro heartbroken about yeah. something. Um, I tears are something when I feel emotion yeah. and when I feel tied to someone or something. And, you know, for example, uh, yesterday I was, uh, we're putting together a series of content that's kind of about this evolution of values. And I was working with a consultant and we started talking about life and we were talking about this is us i don't know if you know that tv I love show it. I love that we show. started talking about this is us and we're both balling in yeah, this yeah. meeting like uh, me and her are basically saying you know that that's what life's all about we're connected to everyone we're not perfect things that we do in the past affect us today and it'll affect our future yeah and so it's cool empowering uplifting conversations like that yeah. that i seek out i love it yeah totally i feel like I feel like crying is this little, little subtle reminder that, hey, like you're a human being, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. not a robot and you, you feel things. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty easy crier. And I would say similarly, most of my crying is, is connected to joy and, and just feeling something, yeah. right? Um, I mean, I'll definitely cry when I'm sad, but it's usually not like a, like a, breakdown sobbing you sure. know but um but i also think and i could be wrong i this is just my own self-diagnosis but i feel like over the years as i've kind of accumulated more heartbreak or more pain or more just realness in life it has made me more sensitive to things mm-hmm. where i feel like way more easily i'll watch a show or something or a cute TikTok, and I'll just kind of tear up. Yeah. Whereas I feel like when I was younger, I'd have to. It would have to be like the saddest movie in the world to, to sure. get me. And now it's like, you know, 
a, a dad hugs his daughter after he hasn't seen her for a week, and I'm like, oh gosh, that's good, <laughs> you know. And I'm not, you know, it's not. Yeah. I don't have any kids or anything, but I don't know. I feel like over the years, I've just been become way more of a sap. Do you yeah. feel like that's changed over the years for you? As, you, as you've kind of yeah. experienced more pain and more more things. It's interesting you that we went to this conversation from the vulnerability because if you think about it crying is an outward expression of an inner feeling yeah. right and so what are we really good at especially as men like keeping our feelings inside and not letting people see what's there and being okay with seeing people or with having people see you feel yeah whatever that means yeah, yeah. right and so uh i i've become a lot more comfortable with that mm. um and i my dad was always kind of that way. So I think I've become more and more like him the older I've gotten. It yeah. just like easily tear up, like you said, <laughs> at a commercial or whatever yeah. it might be. But I, I think that's, I think it's powerful, especially for guys to yeah. talk about the way you feel and to share things that matter to you and be around people that matter to you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I think my only kind of subconscious reservation of like crying around people or in public is more like, I'm not embarrassed to look like, oh, that guy's sad or he's whatever, or he's weak. It's more like maybe I'm not in the mood for somebody to be like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or because it's like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm just, I'm feeling something. Sure. You know? It's interesting you say, is everything okay? Because that's the natural problem solver in all of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we have been taught that, oh, you feel this way? Well, let's fix it. Yeah. Right? And I think there is a recognition of, it's it's good that you feel that way like let's talk about it let's unpack it and then move on right yeah rather than oh you're crying oh let me help you figure that out so we can move on yeah absolutely um what are some of your pet peeves about humans like just when you when you meet somebody and they do this you're just like this is a tough person for me to be around yeah it's a really good question i i struggle with people that don't have the ability or don't often use it to think about how things affect other people, Mm -hmm. right? And what they say or what they do. Um, And, and kind of that thought of like, the world revolves around me, just everyone else get used to it. Um, That, that type of personality I definitely struggle with. Um, And uh, I, I guess from a pet peeve standpoint, like there's some people in life that you just tell, just don't get it. You know, yeah. and you want to help them just like, God, it's yeah. not what it's about, you know? And so I, th- I think that's one of the things that, you know, those people that you can see repeatedly just kind of miss the big picture. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you mean by that? Cause that's something I say a lot, like to my friends and people that I feel like kind of think like me, yeah. like you'll come across somebody and you'll just be like, dude, they, they don't get it. Yeah. They don't get it. Yeah. What, what does that look like for you when you see somebody like, dude, just in a most general way possible, they don't get it. Oh man, the most general way possible, it probably comes down to self-awareness. Yeah. Of like, who are you and what are you trying, and how that might affect other people. Like some people just are very, very unaware of the consequences of their actions or the repercussions of how things they might do might make others feel. And to me, that would probably be the biggest difference of all of a sudden when you're self-aware and you also can be tuned into how other people, you know, feel, you get it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for me, kind of similar. I feel like 
to me, the people that I come across that in the biggest way just don't get life is the people that seem to be so hyper-focused on such trivial things. Like they get bugged really easily, mm-hmm. very irritable. You know, the, the type of people that are, you know, people call it the Karens of the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just get so upset over such an inconsequential thing mm-hmm. because, you know, I think we all realize when we step back that like, man, the most important things in our life are our family, our friends, our relationships, our our passions, you know, our, our careers. Um, and, and it's not like my bagel's a little burnt. Sure. Y- you know, or, <laughs> or whatever. And so when I come across those people, and, you know, a lot of times they could be going through a tremendous amount of stuff that I have, I have no clue about, but um, it's easy to just be like, dude, they don't, they're just focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. You know. Um, if you could go back in time, it sounds like, you know, since a young age, you were a pretty, like, pretty sharp kid out there speaking and performing mm-hmm. and, and doing a lot of stuff that, um, you know, a lot of kids don't don't have that opportunity or, or that, that skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but even along the way, like when you're that young, there's just so much you don't know about the world, you 100%. know, and, and more than anything, you don't know about yourself, you know, cause you talk about history, like there's no way to be a, an amazing historian at, at age 12, No, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and there's no way to know that much about yourself at age 18, so if you could go back and give yourself kind of one sturdy piece of advice to like an 18-year-old you, what, what would you say? I'd say it's not a race. I think for me specifically as a kid, I was very driven very early, like you mm-hmm. said, and I was accomplishment-oriented. Yeah, like I wanted just, to check boxes, just kind make of it overachiever. happen. Yeah, and I, I really for a long time, like age was this thing that I felt like I was fighting against, uh-huh. right? Like, oh, I wanted to be the youngest to do this, or I wanted to pull this off before I turned 25, you yeah. know, like all these different benchmarks I think I set in my life. And, you know, now at the wise old age of 30, but, uh, you know, basically looking back and saying, I, there, there's no rush. There's yeah. nowhere that we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that we never are going to reach a point in life where we've summited the mountain and now it's now accomplished. And then we write a book to tell people about how great our life was. Right. Right. So, you know, I would have told that younger guy along the way to chill out a little enjoy bit. Enjoy it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. slow down and to go within. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I have this friend that just started college like this last week. Right. Yeah. And. I was texting her and asking like, hey, how's college, you know? What's what's that like? What's, you know, how are things going? And she's like, I'm just, I'm drowning. I'm like studying eight hours a day and, and I'm like taking a million credits and like I'm doing all this. And she's like, it's been really tough. And I was like, you got to relax. Like, yeah. because she is very much this overachiever type and, yeah. and was very academically driven yeah. and... And she basically, you know, took took care of most, a lot of her like freshman level classes in high school and yep. stuff. So she's just taken all these, you know, sophomore, junior level classes and 
meanwhile, she's been out of her childhood home for, you know, six days. <laughs> and so I'm just like... I was that kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, it, and I, t- I told her, I was like, listen, college is one of the funnest times ever if you... I mean, not for everyone, but yeah. it, it certainly can be. And that doesn't mean you don't have to be focused on your studies and, like... I mean, you can still get a 4.0, and but you don't need to, like, graduate in three years. Yeah. And you don't need to take a million credits because, I mean, I talk to people all the time that are like, man, I would way rather be in college than in the workforce. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And there's it's hard because there's always any stage in life, you're just kind of antsy for the next stage. Yep. But, um and you know, there's something there's is something great about being done with school, just never having homework and not having to maybe be in classes and study things you don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it depends on your career whether <laughs> your career is better than college or not. Yeah. But but yeah, there's just there's so it's such an exciting time. I I wish I could kind of communicate to younger people, like you said, like. Every stage in life is so amazing if you can just take it for what it is yeah. and not worry so much about the next stage. Yep. You know, because if I could go back and give myself advice, a lot of it would be like kind of this this Zen idea of, man, just be present, just be there, you know. And even even earlier in high school, in middle school, you know, in middle school, I'm so fixated on getting to high school yeah. and playing high school basketball and being around four grades of girls, that sounds amazing, yeah. right? All these different things. And also I'm thinking... And in the moment, you're going, middle school is the worst. Yeah. Because that's your mindset. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm in seventh and eighth grade. I'm tiny. But, you know, by the time I'm in high school, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be six inches taller. I'm going to be this and that. And, and, I mean, that's true. I got taller. I, you know, there was more girls in high school. High school basketball was better than middle school basketball. But... It's like, when I look back, I'm like, man, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of memories. But I wish in the moment I could have just enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, my one of my best friends from high school, he always says, like, I wish, I wish we could just realize that we're, like, almost always in the good old days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? The Macklemore song. I love it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... And I, I think I think Andy on the office says something like that. Like I wish I wish there was a way we could go back and just I wish we could be in the good old days right now. <laughs> and it's like that's that's what it is. You are. Yeah. Yeah. It's really as you said that. I mean, I was. This has been like therapy for me, right? Because I I got my associate degree in high school, mm-hmm. so I had two years of school done by the time I got to college. And why did I do that in high school? For one reason. Because I'd be faster, yeah. right? Like I'd yeah. save myself two years. What mm-hmm. am I saving two years for, right? Right. And then I, so I mean, I go to college same way, and I'm like taking classes with married seniors, you know, yeah. and I've been out of the house for a week. <laughs> and and then I got to the point where I, I have a degree from BYU, and there's probably a plaque with my name on the wall that I have a degree here with the least amount of time spent on campus <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah. I spent one and a half semesters on campus at BYU. Mm-hmm. And I have a degree from there. Right. Right. So basically, I, I spent that whole year, and then I go and find that I'm a senior credit-wise. I have a job opportunity that pops up, and yeah. all of a sudden, I was feeling like, 
school is practice for the real world. Yeah. Like, I, the thought of a mock interview, I'm like, this is stupid. The real world's right there. Nothing's holding me back. Yeah. And so I jumped. I finished online, and yeah. I jumped into my career at 21 years old. And I didn't, I didn't live the college life. I didn't mm. have those experiences. And uh, I'm not one to say I regret that because I don't, yeah. I don't think regret is a good word ever, right? Like we live our lives. It just yeah, doesn't help you for sure. And so you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with the way my life has turned out. But that's the advice I would give that person. And now it's even more reason to be like. You know, right now I'm in the middle of like building a tech startup from ground up and it is work and there's a lot that goes on and not all of it is pretty and systemized. But I know as I'm in this stage right now, it's like, guys, this is going to be the time we look at and be like, remember we were doing this and we were trying to figure it out on the fly and we were making up what we were going to do. Like, how cool is that moment? We're in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important in those moments. It's it's freaking hard when you're in the trenches. Yeah. But if you can just find little moments here and there, because obviously you can't do it all the time. You can't be like so zen and present all the time. You probably won't get very much done. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're just sitting around realizing your fortune at all times. But yeah, if you can take these little moments and be like, yeah, dude, this is this is pretty cool what we're doing, or this is mm-hmm. like what a cool conversation I just had with so and so instead of like. You have this amazing, meaningful conversation, and then you're like, "Okay, what, what do I, what do I got to do now? What's next?" You know. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think our generation and lots, you know, anyone that's busy struggles with that. Mm-hmm. You know, just moving from one task to the other without kind of pausing and self-assessing things a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you have what's um if you had like all the time in the world and all the resources and you, you know, you weren't worried about your current endeavors. Mm-hmm. What's like a hobby or a passion project you would pursue? That's like, man, now that I'm just have now that I've become immortal, and I can sure. live forever. I would love to just learn how to do this or yeah. explore this. Uh, I love it speaking and empowering people mm-hmm. and providing like real ways to help others be happier and mm-hmm. to achieve that fulfillment, whatever it might be. And I also love travel. So mm-hmm. I'd probably find a mix of those two that I would, I would go experience different cultures and people and then talk about it yeah. and share it and pull learning lessons from that. And, uh, you know, th- there's so many different ways to put out content now mm-hmm. And I think I'd probably just embrace them all and just, but not have to be stressed about like, oh, I'm trying to sell this or I'm trying to get yeah, them to do more, this or sign more, up for that. Be more experimental with yeah, it. Yeah, just I'm here for the sake of being here yeah. because I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, me and my buddy the other day were talking and he's a, he's a, you know, singer songwriter and he puts out some really amazing kind of, kind of indie Christian music. Okay. And we were talking about artists that we love. Um, and we were talking about Sufjan Stevens. Have you ever heard any of his no. stuff? He's, um, I don't even know how to explain his stuff, but really, really indie stuff. And we talked about how he has, like, he's he's a musical genius and he plays a million instruments and has an amazing, like, range to his voice. But 
he has these albums that are complete trash. <laughs> but I say that because they're 100% experimental and you can tell he's just doing it because that's what he's interested in. Sure. And if you're a true fan, like, you, there's still stuff of his there's no chance you like, <laughs> right? But, you know, he has his gems that, like, are amazing. But we talked about how beautiful it is to just do art for the sake of art and literally nothing else. Mm -hmm. And you can tell on some of his songs that he's just like, yeah, I just want to get weird with a xylophone, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and I know this isn't going to like be a top track. Sure. And I know this isn't going to help my music career. Sounds like it could be a TikTok trend or something though. Get weird with a xylophone. (laughs) Right. Right. But, um, it's just it's funny because he's such a lyrical master and all these things but he has entire instrumental albums Hmm. and but you know if you're super into music you can you can appreciate the craft obviously but i just think it's interesting and and i just i love those kind of artists that they're not afraid to just put out something they believe in yeah and like i think if you're a true fan of anyone you, you realize like not all their stuff is 10 out of 10, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate their craft, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that idea of just being, being able to focus on, I'm putting out this content because this is the content I love and I'm interested in Yeah. and hopefully can impact people. But obviously it's great to try and monetize stuff and get it, you know, market it well and all that stuff can help grow, you know, your, your cause or spread your message. But I do love the idea of, of thinking, you know what, this specific podcast or this specific like clip I'm going to do, like, I don't really care how it's received, but I really want to do it. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. And I I think where a lot of people find the magic is when they mix those two worlds that they start with that mindset. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to record this and I don't know if anyone's ever going to hear it. And even if they don't, it's not a big deal. And I think overcoming that thought of at the end of the day, you're not caring what other people think. Mm -hmm. That's probably what it is, right? Like when, when you're so focused on I'm creating this so that X, Y, Z, it can happen. I'm creating this so that lots of people will like it and I will be able to do this. Right. And I think of it just as no, I do this because I enjoy it. People can feel that. And then that's the type of stuff that, takes off that's the kind of stuff that people reshare and they do connect with because it does come from a place of genuine authenticity and so i i think i think if you approach it that way you can still have the awesome result yeah absolutely um what's do you do you have a country or two that you're like man this is a little off the beaten path off the radar but i would love to get there and experience the culture and the people and explore and yeah um my ancestry a lot of it's from sweden Mm -hmm. and i kind of want to just go there and hang out yeah yeah and just be swedish yeah there aren't any like (laughs) spots i'd want to figure out for you know like that i oh i have to go see this this or that have you been to scandinavia Um, at all i haven't been to norway or sweden Mm -hmm. so I, i would really like to go there um, and I, I've only been to Egypt in Africa, but mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't been to like Africa, Africa, the, uh, right? Sub-Saharan. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that would be, uh, 
fascinating. I, I at some point will have that type of experience, yeah. and uh, I have a lot of friends from South Africa actually. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm hopefully planning a trip to Cape Town here. Soon. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. I I personally have always wanted to get to Mozambique. Okay. Mostly just because I speak Portuguese. Cool. So I'm like, it'd be awesome to go there and. I, I'm actually planning a trip to Portugal. Okay. But um, but yeah, I feel like if you like to travel, like eventually you got to get to Africa, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you just have to. But um, I'd love to go someplace where I can communicate a little bit, and and you know the Portuguese is, you know, a little bit different than Brazilian yeah. Portuguese, but it's very mutually intelligible. But yeah. um, yeah, um. What's um? We'll kind of wrap this up. I just wanted to ask, what is, what is one of the hardest things you've gone through that, you didn't think was was gonna be that hard, and ended up just kind of, getting the best of you. That's a good question. I, I found myself for a while, uh, feeling like I was stuck in my career, mm-hmm. in my life, like I was in a waiting mode. Um, like, you know, okay, waiting for the universe to get me out of the state or to have some breakthrough, whatever yeah. it might have been. And, um, and there was, there was a little stretch of my life probably in 2019-ish where I, I had a drop in motivation and excitement and drive mm-hmm. and just felt like I threw it in neutral and one was wanting, you know, was just hoping that things would come together. And I think for me, the pandemic was an awakening. Mm-hmm. I think it was for a lot of us because it gave us the chance to slow down, to reevaluate our lives and to reevaluate our, our relationships, our mm-hmm. relationships with ourself most importantly, but then others and our careers and our beliefs and all those different things that come into that. Like, I think it was one of the first times I was allowed to really slow down and kind of embrace that. And through that, uh, it wasn't easy. Like all of a sudden when I, when I started looking in for the first time and realized that I really hadn't done that and I'd been so driven and so just, Oh, check off boxes. When it, when I did take the second to slow down, it was, Harder than I thought it might be. Yeah. And um, coming out on the other end of that now, I mean, obviously it's a work in progress, but like for me, 2020 was an awakening. 2021 was a year of destruction and deconstruction, you know, kind of taking out things in my life that weren't serving me. And then lastly, uh, now I feel like I'm kind of rebuilding a foundation and uh, I feel like I'm doing it from a totally different place and a totally different uh, perspective about it that feels really good. So it was hard, but it was worth it. Yeah. Do you feel like self-honesty was a big part of that, that journey? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, uh, you know, I, I started, for example, I, I never looked back in my own personal life that much, you Mm -hmm. know, like you just asked the question in this interview, what would you have told your younger self? Five years ago, I probably wouldn't have had an answer to that question. But today, I know because I've looked at those pivotal moments in my life and Mm -hmm. the way I thought and the things I did, you know, when I was 12 years old or 16 years old and 21 doing this. And taking a moment to reevaluate that. And then I think there's this balance where you can see where you want to be better in your younger self. 
but you also have to honor and respect and be grateful for that person too. Yeah. And give them, you know, hey, you made all the right calls with, you know, where you were at at that time and now we're in a different place. So I wouldn't do that same thing now, but that's okay. Yeah. And uh, so I think, I think that's where you kind of overcome that regret thing, mm-hmm. uh, but also realize there's a way forward. Right. Um, awesome. That's an awesome answer. Um, I, I often end this podcast with this question and it is a little more difficult when the guest is somebody that like we just met sure. <laughs> and we don't know that much about each other. Which I love interviews like this, by yeah. the way, right? I think they're really raw. You can, yeah. the audience can kind of listen to you to <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my question is, and we talked about doing, doing your podcast, so yeah. we, we might get into this way more, but my question is, if you had one question for me, what, what would it be? So I, I really respect about you that you've embraced writing, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a, I think it's kind of a lost art maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially like as some single 35-year-old guy, whatever it is, right? Like that maybe isn't a career or a path that a lot of people mm-hmm. would take. Yeah. So I guess two parts. One, when did you realize that you liked writing in that way? And then two, when did you figure out what you wanted to write about? Mm. Yeah, this is something people ask a lot, and I think there's there's some different assumptions about it, but the truth is, like, my joy and love of writing really kind of crept up on me and wasn't something I realized for a long time. And if I, you know, if I look back into the past, I can pretty clearly see what was going on. But, you know, as a little kid, I always, like, wrote in journals, and mm-hmm. I have dozens of old journals are just filled to the brim and it's funny because it's such terrible writing and it's not even like it's hard to be a great writer as a kid obviously but it's not even like an attempt at like creativity it was more just me wanting to document things and wanting to get things on paper for some reason Mm -hmm. and I liked the idea from an early age of being able to remember things about my life. Mm-hmm. And so journaling was a really important thing for me, but I never, I didn't really realize why I was just kind of like, yeah, I need to write about, you know, Mrs. Vogue in, in third grade because she said this and she said this and this happened at recess. And, yeah. and I think Heidi's really cute. And, you know, it's funny, a lot of these old journals, you know, a lot of it's me talking about what girls I think are cute and, and how it'd be really cool to kiss a girl and <laughs> a lot of stuff like that. And they but, haven't um, changed. I'm not, sure. Yeah, I'm and now, still writing about this. And the now same there's thing. just more adjectives <laughs> and more metaphors. But um, yeah, it wasn't till kind of the middle of college when I was deep into my history major and was writing a lot of really long papers that I realized kind of how much I enjoyed it and how much I enjoyed the idea of kind of crystallizing my thoughts Mm -hmm. in a, in a different way. And, and then it was just kind of this evolution from enjoying academic writing to wanting to be more creative and wanting to, um, cause I loved history so much, but I realized in writing academic history, there's not a lot of room for opinion and, and like creativity. It's like 
write down what happened (laughs) and um especially in like the historical like community Mm -hmm. you can't the second you kind of veer off and are going on your own opinions that you know academics are like "Mm, that's now we can throw it out (laughs) you know and so I wanted to be more creative so I started a blog which I'm sure was really bad but it was a way for me to kind of try things and and experiment with getting my thoughts out there and and actually having people read them that weren't professors you know so that's kind of how it started um as far as like figuring out what I wanted to write about a lot of that came from what I was reading and and thinking like well what would I want to read Hmm. you know and so because I do write fiction and nonfiction, so in my mind, I'm looking to write fiction that I would want to read, you know, and I'm and I'm looking to write nonfiction, whether it's autobiographical stuff or stuff with a historical perspective. Yeah, I'm I'm writing something that I want to learn about and I want to read because if it doesn't keep my interest, like how on earth is it going to keep anyone else's interest? And and I'm not going to write something well if it doesn't really intrigue me and I don't really care what happens, you know, like right now I'm in the middle of this novel and my fiction is very like realist literary fiction. And so it's very much character driven rather than plot driven. And so to me, I'm just look, I've hopefully am creating characters that I really care about because if I don't really care about them, I don't really care what happens. I don't really care where the plot goes because I'm just kind of there for the ride. But when I really kind of create these worlds that I, I want to learn more about and I want to see it unravel, then I can I feel like I can actually write something with meaning, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally does. It's cool to hear, and I love that you said that evolution. That That's what happens, right? It yeah. starts with them sort of interest and then you kind of figure it out along the way and you just start doing it yeah and so i mean kudos to you for starting the podcast i i felt a similar thing like i didn't know what i was going to say when i started the podcast yeah. and i listened to part of your episode one like recently yeah. and i could feel that same like i don't know where this is going to go but i'm going <laughs> to yeah. put myself out there right and i'm going to start it and it's cool to see you know let other people watch your progress along the yeah. way as well i i heard this really crazy stat um the other day about podcasts and he said that of all the podcasts that are ever created um only 10 percent of them end up doing more than four episodes mm, i believe it <laughs> and then he said of those that do four plus episodes only is i can't remember what the percentage was but a very small percentage of that ever get more than like 20 episodes Mm. and I was like that's crazy like that's crazy and it's it's funny as I've been doing this podcast a lot of people have have told me oh I I started a podcast but I just you know I did a couple episodes yeah whatever (laughs) and it's just it's interesting because I remember thinking when I first started like how kind of daunting it was and and I even you know was was mentioning to you before we started recording like I've been frustrated at times because I'm, I'm not great with, with the tech side of things and my like setup, my studio isn't amazing. And so it's, it's, it's easy to think like, well, when I get all that stuff ready, then I'll start, Yep. you know, but, um, 
But guess what? My podcast has been fine with this cheap little microphone and this, you know, recording in my basement. But um, obviously, I'd like to improve the equipment and, and the quality and everything with time. But just like with anything, if you can just freaking start, yeah. <laughs> you're you're better off than ninety percent of people. Hundred you know? percent. Couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Um, well, my man, thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. It's always. I, I think a little, not trepidatious, but, you know, having, you know, planning a, a long conversation with somebody you've never met, you've, you've only texted a couple times, you don't really know. It, it's funny, before the podcast, you, you're like, well, you know, so what do you want to get out of this? What's kind of your goals? And and for me, my style, like, I don't really have any, you know, yeah. I just want to have a good conversation. And so... Um, I appreciate you being willing to, to be flexible and, and uh, a little spontaneous. For sure. Well, yeah. thanks for having me on. And it is. It is a fun challenge to be like, <laughs> I don't know this guy, but we're going to, our first conversation, we're going to hit record and uh, yeah. release it to the world. Who yeah. knows what will happen. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a, a first date, but we have no romantic agenda. <laughs> speak for yourself no, okay yeah <laughs> that's just me that's just me um do you want to uh tell people a little bit more about your podcast how people can find you get in touch with your content yeah that'd be great so uh the best way to follow me is just on social media channels it's connor delin c-o-n-n-o-r-d-e-h-l-i-n i'm on tiktok instagram twitter everything linkedin everywhere you name it um, if you want to check out my company, I recently started a tech company at the start of the year that's actually in our product launch as we speak right now. We have first beta testers using it. It'll be launched to the general public in October. That company is called Opt, O-P-T, and you can check our website out there at optme.com. It's a way to pay for meeting time or get paid to meet with someone else. So it's built in almost like a way if Venmo and Calendly had a baby, mm, okay, a really sexy baby. Sure. That's what that's what our product would be. I love when those two words combine. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So go go check that out. And then the podcast you can find in all those places. The podcast is called Millennial in the Middle. Just search my name. That's the easiest way to get it. We're about ninety episodes in, and. Uh, not stopping anytime soon. Awesome. That's really exciting. Um, and I'll put that some of that info in the show notes if you want to find our guy and listen to his episodes. So um, appreciate you guys, and we will see you soon. Mm-hmm.